with that story. Other people's perception of you ain't none of your business. I wonder if this is what normal people feel like. Well, like Eleanor Roosevelt said, well-behaved women rarely make history. And nothing says mental health um, cast live like, say, starting with, I drank a whole bottle of wine. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another week of Bipolar Girl, where we're heard in over 70 countries worldwide, and we're here to help you tell stories over stigma and to create community. I hope you had a great week, uh, and we're back with another exciting interview uh, for this week. Right, honey? Yes. This person reached out to us on Twitter. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. They reached out to us for uh, Keegan. Keegan, all yes. the way from all the way from the UK. Keegan, Keegan O'Connell, um, and you know it's interesting because we've been we've been interviewing a lot of like ad, a lot of authors and people who are you know doing some really cool stuff, um, you know, in terms of advocacy. But it's nice to get back to our roots and talk to people with lived experience. Yes. Well, a couple of the authors we talked to had lived experience. That's true. That's true. Several. I, I don't ever want us to lose our roots, like where we like where we're where we've come from, as they say. Where we come from, as they say. <laughs> oh show. my goodness. Um. Yeah. So you know, we're waiting for Keegan right now to, to come on all the way from the UK. Um. And uh, so, tell us how your week is. Two weeks. Two weeks. I don't like this because it's hard for me to remember. It's good, I think. Oh, huh. no, it's not good. Why? It's not good at all. Why? What happened? Because I got scabies. You didn't get scabies. Okay. So, like, <laughs> all right. So, so in, in one week, like, I got hit with uh, a bad upper respiratory. We got the norovirus. Upper respiratory infection because, like, I, my, my body freaks out every time the weather goes from 22 to 80, which you probably should. Then my son came home and had the norovirus, brought that in, and good lord. So that ran through the family. That ran through. And at the same time, Rebecca is sitting here scratching so hard, she's bruising herself. And we've, I said, you need to make a doctor's appointment. She's he like, thought it was, he thought it was, um, cancer yeah i thought so i I got like this weird bruise kind of thing and and he thought it was cancer and so he was like you have to go to the dermatologist you have to go to the dermatologist and so we end up at the dermatologist and the dermatologist sits there and he looks at it and he was like i think that you have um shingles yeah, like adult chicken pox, dude. Like adult chicken pox. That's what I have. So in one week, right? We're all sitting with like our stomach issues, head issues, and skin issues all at one time. Can it was you- bad. It was bad. It was real bad. And so I've been on all kinds of medicine for it. And I mean, honestly, there's nothing you can do for it. It's just, it is what it is. Um, you. You can get cream for the itching. There's a pill you can take to help with it, but it just has to, it has to run its course. Yeah. I mean, and it's, and it's, it's probably one of those things that like, you shouldn't have really gotten this right for 
for a long time. Well, you usually don't get shingles until you're over 50. Uh, so, like, like, and I turn forty, 40 this in year. May. <laughs> you know, you've always been early. You know, well, mom said it's because I'm an overachiever. You are an overachiever, like you know. Um, Keegan, are you on with us right now? Can can you hear us? I don't think you can hear us yet. I can't hear him. Maybe you can try calling in too. We can also get you that way. Um, yeah. So we've been dealing with health issues. We've been dealing with health health issues for for quite some time now, and it seems like it's now just kind of like it's kind of just turned into something else. What is it now? It's now scabies, as you call it. You but no, scabies, because I forget I forget what it's called. But yeah, if you've had chicken pox, then you can have um, shingles. It's just it is what it is, and I can get it again. I have an aunt who's had it like two or three times. I think one time she had it in her ear. That's what I was gonna say. Didn't you just tell me that you had an aunt <laughs> that had it in her ear? So she walking down the street scratching her ear. <laughs> well, it was hard because like you can't put cream and stuff in your ear. Like, yeah, it was bad. She had it on her face. She had it on her ear. It was it was weird. That's that's awful. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty poor awful. Aunt Carol. Yeah, poor Aunt Carol. But yeah, so um, it's it's going away now. Now it just now I'm just bruised. I'm bruised and beaten. See, and I and I know people at work thought like it was like I was just staying. You were home. making stuff like, up. I didn't want, like no, they don't realize what I went through last week. Like I had it going and coming. Like I was went through it. Maybe Keegan can log off and log back on. Yeah, Keegan, maybe maybe try logging back out and logging back in. Um, and see if that'll work. And see, that- it's not he's not popping up. Yeah, yeah, you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not popping up at all. Um, is there anything interesting in the world that's going on in terms of mental health? Uh, yeah. So they did a study in rats, and mm-hmm. they found that the um, medication Lamictal uh, actually works to help autism traits. You told me about that. So. Is is that why you made it through college, cum laude and laude and it could be honor it, program? It could all? be that the lamictal helped with the autism. Wow! Without yeah. even knowing that it was doing that, we used it as a mood stabilizer. But yeah, in 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 lab studies with mice, it's mice. Um, doses of lamictal were used, and it turned off the autistic traits. So 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 now that your doctor wants you to like start scaling back on Lamicto. It's a good question to see if should I stay on it or not. <laughs> Are we gonna drive to the street and you're gonna go where? where? Like yeah, is that what is that going to start happening? I don't know. <laughs> I'm just, I don't know. Yeah, I'm just trying to figure it out. Um because I didn't know what to expect. Yeah. You know. Lots of caffeine know. at night because you're my night driver. So That's true. I am your night driver. And I need you to be able to focus. Oh, oh, there, there, there is Keegan. Yeah, I, I, I really need you to be able to focus. Well, welcome, there's Keegan. Keegan O'Connell, all the way from the United Kingdom. Welcome to the couch. How are you? Uh, thank you very much. I'm actually in South Africa there. There, South Africa. You're oh, wrong. Right. You, you did were tell me. Stuff up. No, that's true. You did tell me <laughs> South Africa. I'm sorry, Keegan. No problem at all. We have friends that are in Cape Town. And uh, right now, Johannesburg, so, yeah. Yeah. Johannesburg in Cape Town. Yeah. All right. Have, have you have you two ever been here? No. No, we've never been there. But we heard great things. You guys have great curries and great coastal communities. 
Um, yes, we definitely do have great curries. In fact, I don't know if you have ever heard of a bunny chow. Do no. You, oh, Keegan, I'm sorry. You sound, almost yes. sound like you're talking within a hallway. Is there a way to get closer you're to echoing. the microphone? You're kind of echoing. Is there a way to get closer to the microphone? Okay, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to go into there you another go. room. Oh, there is you that go. better? That's better. That's better, That's yes. 100% better. Okay, great. Yes. No, I've never heard of that. What is that? Okay, so it doesn't actually involve a bunny, but it's a curry that is in a hollowed out loaf of bread that you eat with your fingers, mm. which um, it might sound a bit uh, strange, but it's very, very popular here, especially in Durban where I live. Wow. That sounds amazing. So how do how do you like how do you make that? That sounds really good. So it's just in a hollowed out piece of hollowed out loaf of bread. Yes, that's right. So so how it actually they came about is, um, you probably don't know a lot about the history of South Africa because we are far away and small. But um, approximately about 100, 120 years ago, we um, well the, the the British then brought in laborers from India who worked on the sugar, the sugar cane plantations um, here in Durban, where I live. And they would take their curries to work in a hollowed out loaf of bread. So it was a means to transport it. And then that just sort of caught on as a delicacy. That's fantastic. Mm, that's kind of like... Though. That's kind of like the history of the po' boy sandwich because the po' boy sandwich was like it was uh, down in New Orleans. It was um, it was the working man sandwich. It was it was just the okay. cheap sandwich as to how they carried it was in this certain loaf of bread. Mm -hmm. And now it's become like this big fancy like everybody likes po' boy sandwiches. It sounds very similar okay, to that. So, yeah, so there are some similarities. Interesting. It sounds delicious. Let me just I know, tell you I want to try it now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, you're making me hungry, like, just talking about that. So, Keegan, tell us about yes. you. Just get, give us your story. So, um, you know, we have a reference point of who we're talking to, Keegan, from South Africa. Yes, yeah, sure. So, I think what I'll do maybe is just jump in at the present and then go backwards. Okay, so, that works. Excellent. Yes. So, Basically, at the, at, at the moment, uh, my, um, my sort of general occupation is doing freelance writing work. So I write for a couple of different companies, and um, in, in Canada, in fact, which is also quite interesting. But this all started when I wrote a book about my own experiences with bipolar disorder. And it was something that I'd wanted to do since... Well, I can't put a time period on it, but for many, many years. But I was, um, you know, always embarrassed about the depression side of things, you know, at least. And I didn't want to talk to people about it. And it came to the point where I thought, well, let me just write all of this down. And fast forward a year or maybe a bit more. And um, there was a book. And I... Yeah, it's, it's, it's basically uh, my, my whole life story, uh, the ups, the downs, the, the good bits, the bad. And it's an exercise in trying to tell other people that you're not alone, you can speak up, and that there shouldn't be a stigma around bipolar mm -hmm. or, or mental, mental health in general. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where I am at the moment. But 
if I go back and to just give you a brief summary, I was born here in Durban, um, went to went to school, primary school, high school, university here, you know, had an idyllic upbringing, um, you know, we lived in uh, the cliche, a leafy suburb, but it was, and, you know, as kids, we were always out on our bikes, and we had this um, sort of sports complex near us with a municipal pool, and diving board and mm -hmm. a skateboard track and you know that we, we we had a great upbringing and the reason i'm mentioning that is that people will ask you know is there anything in your childhood that could have possibly been a catalyst for your mental health issues so mm -hmm. there wasn't anything like that uh, which i think is quite quite an important point but to yes fast forward through um school or high school, and then at university, I studied law. Oh, but cool. yes, I, you know, a, actually, it, it was for a for, yeah, a bit of a stupid reason because what I really wanted to to do was write, and I sort of had the misapprehension that lawyers are rich and journalists are poor. So I decided, well, let me be a lawyer rather. And the thing is that. You know, I made that decision for the for the for the wrong reasons, which I think a lot of people do. They chase money instead of chasing happiness because they think money will make them happy. And my legal career didn't work out. You know, I was in practice for eight years, but oh, really? What was your focus? Yeah. Absolutely everything. <laughs> so the, the the thing is that I hopped around from firm to firm so much that. I, I couldn't really establish myself anywhere, but when I started, it was debt collection, which isn't a lot of fun. Um, then I moved on to, to bank panel work, which basically foreclosures. So I suppose you could say it's debt collection on a larger scale, but I did a bit of criminal. Um, I then was on the other side and represented people that owe the banks money. I've done divorces. I've done, it's called the CCMA here, which is our labor court. Uh, drafting of uh, prenups, so all across the board. That's interesting. And you know, uh, we we yes. have a dear friend whose whose partner actually uh, they live in Brussels, who's a writer okay. in the same kind of. Uh, uh, the same way you are, work for different publications and different you know houses around the country, around the world. Um, and in fact, Mika just got back from Africa. Actually, uh, finished. Okay finish and does the same work. It's very rewarding work as a cultural um, reporter. Yes, absolutely. Um, look, I, I mean, for, from from my point of view, you know, I don't sort of, let's say, you know, go out into the field and interview people and, you know, construct stories, but that would be incredible. That would be something I really would like to do. Mm -hmm. That's excellent. And so, in, in, in terms of your life, though, so... Were you what early you diagnosed or late, late diagnosed? I'm sorry, honey. So I was 19 when I was diagnosed. Mm -hmm. But having tracked back over my high school and even in primary school days, there were situations which I was in or scenarios where I you know, had this terrible sadness out of nowhere that I didn't really pay any attention to when it passed. And... I have chatted about this with my psychiatrist and he does believe that perhaps it did start just before my teens, however, was very intermittent as in, you know, 
maybe two hours every now and then. You mm -hmm. know, not every day. There, there may have been months and months between, you know, episodes of sadness. And interestingly, it was often brought on by music. But here, sad songs or emotional songs that would make me feel sad. And now, I know people would say, well, perhaps that's just a normal human reaction. And yes, it is. But I feel that either it was, you know, a huge amount of oversensitivity or there was something more involved. In, but having said that, you know, that was the catalyst. When I got older and when I was 19, when I was actually given a diagnosis, first off, I disputed it. I didn't believe it. Uh, you know, depression was not something that I'd ever talked about or necessarily even believed in. I'd never given it any thought. But at that age is where the depressive episodes completely unprompted started. So I guess to answer the question, the official diagnosis was at age 19, but perhaps there could have been signs of it prior to that. It's interesting that you said that you don't have any um, anything in your history of growing up that would have caused it because there is, you know, there's two camps of what causes bipolar. Is it trauma or is it genetic? Yes. Um, and sometimes they overlap. Uh, so it, is there a genetic history in your family with depression and bipolar? We cannot be for sure, uh, you know, 100% sure, but we are pretty close to 100% sure because, you know, I'm going to take you back now to what would it have been the, well, the, the 40s, 50s, 60s. My grandfather was 18 when he went to World War II and he came back at age 20, 21 perhaps and it would appear that he was depressed, did experience depression because he drank heavily and mm -hmm. we think that was to to combat what he was feeling. But, you know, on the other hand, it could have been PTSD or maybe a bit of both. And the, th the thing is, when he did eventually get sober, he he seemed to be fine. And, you know, these are accounts from, from the family. He died when I was quite young, so I didn't really know him. But apparently mood was up and down, up and down. He was, well, the, the way my mom says, he was very grumpy. You know, he would snap irritable. Um, but he actually did attempt to take his life, and that was after going back onto the booze. So there's that, and then his brother, so that would be my great uncle, he also attempted to take his life. So that indication is that perhaps that both of them did experience a mental illness. The brother didn't go to war, so PTSD mm. could possibly be ruled out there um, yeah, and yeah i just wonder you you know what what are your comments on that just in terms of w whether perhaps it would just just sort of a open question whether ptsd and depression can be a combination if perhaps he was genetically predisposed and the ptsd enhanced depression or if they coexist or exist separately they, they can absolutely be a comorbidity with each other. Um, you could have been depressed and then got the PTSD. You could get the, the PTSD and then get the depression. I mean, it, it, they can come either way. Um, your story sounds very similar to mine because when we look back in my genetic history, it is, again, a grandfather. 
um, that everybody looks to and says, you know, he was a heavy drinker. He was kind of erratic with his moods. He was all over the place. Like he died early. Um, and so we can't say for certain that that's where the bipolar comes from. But if we had to take a guess, we would definitely point at grandpa and be like, yep, that it is. Yes. There it is. Um, <laughs> but no, it sounds like he could have had the depression before he got the PTSD. Um, definitely. Especially if his brother was showing signs of depression too. Yes. Yes. The, the, the thing is that also we don't, um, well, look, I never knew the brother. My mom knew him as an uncle, but he was also ousted from the family, but not because of you know, possible mental health issues, but he, and I don't know, you know the correct way to put it, but he was, let's say, less successful career-wise than his brother. He sort of had menial jobs. He didn't stay in jobs for long, and it seems like he felt inferior to the rest of the family. Mm. And, you know, maybe he didn't stay in jobs long because of his depression. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as you will know, it can be very difficult to complete tasks and get things done, mm -hmm. especially when you're in a particularly bad depressive period. So, yeah. yeah and if it was, and say if it was bipolar and not just depression, I mean, it's hard to function. It is hard to function, especially yes. if you're not treating it in any way. Yes, absolutely. And just a question, um, are you, is your diagnosis bipolar or depression? Uh, my diagnosis started as depression and ended up being okay. bipolar. Okay, yes, interesting, because mine went, mine went the same way. But I don't experience long manic spells at all. They're always very, very short. So recently I have experienced long manic episodes. Um, so when I was younger, I would say that I was in um, a hypomanic state where, you know, it's just the baby mania where you don't go too far. Um, but I never went hyperman or hypermanic until just recently um, last year. So it kind of changes, I think, with at least with me, it changes. And I know that it also can change over time as we get older. The illness changes. Um, it gets more severe as we age. Yes, I definitely have noticed changes. And in terms of mania, and I should probably, you know, obviously this is not from a medical point of view, but just an, you know, an experience point of view. Sometimes if I am in a social situation, I get so excitable and kind of, um, carried away and um, it's difficult to it's almost uncomfortable from the point of view that there's too much excitement and too much going on mm -hmm. and I don't have an outlet so that I would describe as perhaps a mini manic spell but not anything elongated although I have had situations you know the typical you know, ideas of, of, of grandeur and, you know, romance and doing, you know, silly things, um, you know, getting into a relationship quickly. And I, I mean, just a, a quick story. Mm -hmm. This happened to me. I'll, I'll, I'll summarize it. This is probably what I would describe as my longest manic period. And it was only 10 days at most, but also a bit up and down during it. And I, I basically, I met a girl. She lived in a different city. She was on holiday. Uh, where I lived and we spent maybe seven days together just romantic 
also going out drinking too much, you know, uh, just behaving irresponsibly. And after a holiday, she flew back to where she lived, and I decided I'm going to fly there and surprise her. She had a dance. It was um, she, she was a doctor, and it was her her end of her residency dance. So I decided I'm going to fly there. I'm going to hire a car, drive to the venue, suit flowers. You know, I couldn't afford any of this stuff at the time, so I just <laughs> put it all on a credit card. And you know, it, it was great while it lasted. It was amazing, but then. When it ended, when I came home, then, you know, I was sort of left empty, which mm -hmm. is a very common symptom of coming out of the mania. Mm -hmm. So you were diagnosed at 19. Was that college for you or, you know, prim well, not primary school, but high school. high school. Was that high school or was that college for you? So that would have been college. It was, mm -hmm. in fact, just after my first year so mm -hmm. january so i just turned 19. i turned 19 mm -hmm. in in the november and then it was in january the year would have been 2004 that i was diagnosed wow wow and and what was that situation like like did you did you look back on like when you were in grade school and say, oh, that made sense, or was it just something that kind of hit you like a, like a bag of bricks, you know, I, uh, you know, while you were in college? Yes. So, at the time, I, I didn't look back at all and think, well, maybe this is connected, maybe that's connected, and I, I don't know why I didn't. I just think it was something that I never really thought of. But yes, it did hit me like a bag of bricks, and it actually started with with anxiety, mm -hmm. so, um, I, I had met a girl in October. So my you know, first, first love, first proper relationship. And I remember very clearly the day that I first felt the anxiety. And it was, it was New Year's Day in 2004. And we'd been out the night before drinking you know, having a good time. The next day, it was fine in the morning. And then we had a, an afternoon nap and I woke up she was still asleep next to me and I just had this insane anxiety I didn't know what it was and but that was absolutely out of nowhere mm -hmm. and then shortly thereafter within probably a week maybe 10 days then this chronic sadness hit and I didn't know what was going on that also like another slap with a, a, a bag of bricks so I was confused. I, I had heard about uh, other people with mental health issues. In fact, I'd met somebody through a cousin who uh, would cut himself. And this, so, so this is in high school. Mm -hmm. And I thought this was the most ridiculous thing. I thought, well, you know, what's wrong with this person? And obviously now my opinion has changed completely because at that time I didn't understand anything about mental health or, or why that was an outlet. And then when I got to the point, let's say maybe a few years in, let's, let's call it that, or maybe within the year, then I started thinking about mental health very differently. And not that, you know, I thought that I was weak, but I knew that there were other people out there like me. However, I didn't want to talk to anyone about it. 
And so what, what was your like sort of family situation like? Did you did you have your your parents, you know, there with you to kind of assist? Yes. So I didn't go away to university. I, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but in the States, it's quite common for you know kids leaving high school to go to colleges in different states. Yes. Um, Very common. So, yeah. So mm -hmm. here it does happen. It does happen quite frequently, but... I would say not as as frequently as in the States. So I stayed at, at home to to go to university, lived with my parents and my brother. And, there, you know, there was a lot of support there, most certainly, mainly from my mom. The reason being that my dad and my brother didn't really understand what was going on. Mm. And they, I think they, well, to be fair, my brother was, he was, would have been 15 at the time. So not if, you know, the, the age that you could kind of wrap your head around it. But I, I think they, they didn't know a lot about it and they didn't, you know, do any reading on it. Not, not that I blame them at all because I, you know, I didn't even know what was going on. I didn't even do any research on it, even though mm -hmm. I was having these feelings. So a lot of support came from my mom and my dad and, and, and my brother. We never really talked about it until... Many years later, there was concern, definitely, but I think the root cause was something that they couldn't work out because there wasn't a cause. Right. That's interesting. Um, so I know that you've written a book. How? Where does the book come into play? When did you write that? So I... Oh, the time is going so 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 quickly. <laughs> no, it's okay. Now. No worries. <laughs> no, no I, well, I just mean in general. But um, okay, so I started it in about June of 2020, and at that stage, it was just you know I didn't have any intentions to necessarily publish it. It was just really writing things down, and I came up with what you would describe as a manuscript. And I gave it to a friend to read, and she said to me, well, there's a lot of stuff that's not in here, you know, that I know about you. you. You know, you can make this better, and you need to tell the full story. So then that was in about September of 2020. So then I started doing more drafts, and basically it just got um, sort of longer and longer, and, it, you know, got to the point where here I have a full book. There were... You know, there were certain amounts of delays in getting it to the actual um, publishing phase. And mm -hmm. one of those was my psychiatrist sort of offered to do some proofreading for me and give me his opinions on it, recommendations, which worked quite, quite nicely. So it's, yeah, it's, you know, progressed, but it was ready for release in October last year so 2021 so a year and a year and three four months is the the whole process however i do tell people that i think it could have been released sooner not that it actually matters mm -hmm. but yeah so so that's you know from first starting to write things down you know to the book becoming available so june july 2020 and then released october 2021 
You know, it's, it's, it's interesting that you say that, you know, and, you know, just kind of just kind of focusing on the parents. And I know you said your mom was a little more compassionate than you, you your dad, perhaps, you know, Lightbright, who's in the studio today. She says, you know, my kid's father used to scream at me and he would be condescending towards me and tell me that my anxiety and depression was all in my head. And of course, we responded, you know, of course, it's in your head. Right. But was it like that for you growing growing up and like right again I'm sorry you had to go through this but you know for you Keegan was it like that growing up in the house did they just not believe you or did they just not engage with it I would say they didn't engage with it and and it was so no there was no scenarios where it was you know as other people say come on just cheer up or uh, you know, you've got nothing to be sad about, uh, about, you have a good life. It was just that we didn't really communicate about it. Mm. And, you know, the communication was with my mom. So it wasn't as if they took a stance that they didn't believe in it or believe that it was. A th I think they saw that I was in pain, but they didn't really know what to do. And mm -hmm. we, we just didn't end up having the discussions that we did have years later we maybe should have had at the time. But there's also an element that I, and Bright, I don't know if you've felt this as well, was a little bit embarrassed about it to, you know, to tell my dad, and, you know, and, and you know, the kind of cliche, cowboys don't cry. Mm -hmm. I, I, that, looking back, I think I felt a certain amount of that and, you know, just suck it up when I'm around my dad and then release when I'm around my mom, not absolutely hard and fast, but something along those lines. It's interesting too, because I always, I always appreciate when a male will come on um, the show because mental health, y'all are treated so differently when it comes to mental health. Like women, it's okay for us to have mental health issues, right? Like everybody will be like, oh, it's okay. You know, that's understandable, whatnot. But when a man comes and says, you know, I have depression or I have anxiety or it's always, you know, toughen up or cowboys don't cry or things like that in that nature. Yes. So it's always it's always nice to hear the perspective from a man's point of view is how the world treats you when you have mental illness. Yes. I, I would I would say on, on that point is that we do well, I, I suppose I can only take myself as an example, but I, I thought that telling people about it, well, you know, would be perceived as weak. But having actually talked about it on a larger scale, I really have found that people have received it well, and there is actually a lack of judgment, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. So. You know, I'm sure they, I'm, you see, also the thing is that uh, because I've, I've used social media, um, you know, a little bit to kind of get the message out there. And I get contacted by people that say, you know, they'll, they'll DM me or they'll write on my wall or, or email me and they'll say, you know, it's okay. Well done. Um, don't be embarrassed about it. You know, it's not a cowboys don't cry scenario. So I think also it is largely in our own heads that we fear judgment, but it's not as widespread as we have the impression that it is before we talk about it. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I totally know where you're coming from and, and especially not to fall into traditional 
or you know not traditional but like you know um expected gender norms but it is really hard for males to talk about what we're experiencing and you are very articulate about that but i'm curious about you know how has your illness impacted your ability to have long-term either platonic or even romantic relationships that is a good and difficult question <laughs> but i it, it is difficult to say i mean i have you know, platonic relationships have been have been fine romantic relationships i have had long-term relationships when i say long-term you know i'm 38 now so I've, I've had two relationships that were around four four and a half years wow and okay so i i don't think there is a huge effect because you know the okay so the first relationship was when i was at university so you know you are a bit younger and it's your first love doesn't necessarily always turn out to be the one that you spend forever with. So I think that one, it, it was, I don't think there was much of an effect. And the, the second one, there, you know, she was, understood very well what I was going through. She had her own mental health issues. So it was, you know, it, it was kind of worked well in that sense. But what I have found is that I have, you know, in, in in the bad times, but also in the good or the okay times, I feel that I seek out uh, affection and, and just to be to be wanted or, or, or to be loved, but I've mistaken that or, or try to find it through promiscuity and sleeping with, you know, several women and getting attachment very quickly and then it comes mm -hmm. to an end. And mm -hmm. right. I, I hadn't wondered if that was how, you know, my condition had manifested itself until relatively recently. I'd say, you know, within the last year. Um, and, 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 you know, you, you, do, you do kind of start to wonder if you're the problem when you have these starts to something romantic and then, you know, it ends relatively quickly. So, but to, to answer the question, I'd say, that it has had an impact on the very short-term relationships. Mm. Uh, and, and, and in, what, what do you, what, in what way, what do you mean? So I think what, what I would say is that I <clears throat> would be reaching out to be loved or to find something that fills a gap, and then I just mis sort of mistake the the sort of the initial interaction and you know after two weeks and I'm thinking oh yes this this is the one this woman is amazing and I get so invested and then you realize that well you know we don't really suit each other that well but when it ends let's say let's say it's a I don't know if you can call it a relationship let's say you know there was one particular girl that we were together for under three months and when it ended, I was, you know, I acted like we'd been together for five years. And well, when I say acted, not pretended, but my reactions kind of didn't were. Not they didn't align with the, the amount of investment you actually put in with the person, right? Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. 
So what is the name of your book and where can our listeners find it? Okay, so it is called A Combustible Life, which um, is a name that I particularly like. <laughs> it really took a while to come up with it. So, so the title is A Combustible Life. And the and then it's the, the sort of tagline is my ongoing struggles with manic depression. And just before I tell you where you can where the listeners can get it, I use manic depression being the old term because I think it is a little bit more powerful than the term bipolar and it's more recognized in general. So that's that. But it's on Amazon mm -hmm. and you know, I don't know how you know, I, um, if I, you know, I can send the link somehow or whatever yep. the case is. But um, mm -hmm. yes, ba basically, if you go onto um, Amazon and you just search A Combustible Life, Keegan O'Connell, then you will find it. And I just I just found it and I saw your cover. Um, oh, and, uh, and, and, do, and do you have a website as well? And it looks like there's two books. Is, there's two books. Okay, does, yes, does it say? Uh, in Two Minds. Yes, yes, yes. So In Two Minds is basically a very condensed version with my own explanations of what I think, stroke, thought I was going through at the time. Okay. Okay. Very but nice. I would yes. Do you have a website that you would want us to send people to or do you use social media more? So I don't have a website, but I do have a YouTube channel. Oh, okay. Yes, so I've got it. It's also it's got the same name, a combustible life, and I basically it's to promote the book, but also to you know reach out to other people that experience you know mental health issues, and to also you know that it's the whole thing about the the stigma, and I actually just just on that I I went through a period where I was sort of struggling a little bit. Uh, you know, emotional or mentally, and I didn't make videos for a while, and it was actually doing quite well. I mean, it's a very small channel, but I've recently started making videos again. So, if people do, you know, visit the uh, the channel, you can, or they can sort of track back and look at my the the progression from when I first started, and give you know, give it gives a bit of an insight into into my life. Um, so that, that, that would probably be the best way to kind of decide if you do want to get or, or you do want to read the book or engage further with me. But then otherwise, yes, social media, I'm on um, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And, and, and we'll definitely drop the links for you. Yes. Um, you know, is, is the book written in first person or, you know, like, you know? Yes, how... it is. It is written in first person. Okay. And it's... You know, we all have our different styles of writing, and mm -hmm. I, I've, I, what I wanted to do is, you know, not be too long-winded. I find in conversations I can bang on a little bit, <laughs> um, which can be quite, uh, quite funny with friends because they'll um, take the mickey out of me for that. But the book, I wanted to make it concise, get to the point, but still tell a story. So... Mm -hmm. I would describe it as an easy read. It's, you know, there's, I don't, you know, I do go into depth on certain subjects, but others, I, I feel that I pay attention or the correct amount of attention to 
you know the, the the story or the you know the particular story within the story and mm. so uh, yes I, I would describe it as, as, as quite an easy read and w what i like to do with my writing is have a lot of paragraphs instead of big thick long paragraphs because i feel that it's less intimidating for someone that is perhaps interested but is not much of a reader so it's it's a reader friendly book let's call it that very good and i'm looking at it you have a number of books you yeah, have woke one's... woke the f up cognitive behavior uh oh, yes, behavioral yes. therapy and you have a combustible radio a combustible triple barrel and a combustible b i won't say the b word so you, you you're really into this combustible theme yes well well you know what i i actually um thought that I had unpublished those. I don't know, that I didn't actually know they were still available. So what I started doing is taking extracts from the uh, various chapters and basically experimental and putting them up under the combustible, let's say, series. But I actually felt that um, I, I, I wanted to, I, I'm almost certain that they are unpublished. I don't know if you can see them, but they're not actually available but in any case mm -hmm. it was essentially extracts with some spins on them from the main book so it's it's not you know they they, they don't contain exactly what's in in let's call it the, the main book of combustible life but there are elements of, of cliff notes the, of your main book yes yes let's call it that yes yeah, in a, in a sense, you're like you've 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 sort of deconstructed. It's almost like a deconstructed taco, you know. There you go. You've deconstructed your book into make them into bite-sized, digestible bits. There you yes. go. Yes, yes, that yeah described it much better than I did. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm very good at spin. Well, you know what? Listen, Keegan, thank you so much for for um, sharing your your life, your work. Um, and, uh, and, 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 sh and just coming overall and, and participating in the show. And I hope you spread your show all over South Africa to all of your friends and all over the world, Canada, of course, and, and have yes. them check us out. Now we do this thing called the, uh, proverb of the week. So, uh, okay. will you stay on for it? Yes, absolutely. And, and guys, thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on. No, absolutely. Not, not a problem at all. Okay, honey. So um, it's a French proverb. We're doing mm. French today. Are you reading it in French or no, English? No, oh. no. Okay. Because I'll mess it up and then we'll get phone calls. That's true. Truth is more valuable if it takes you a few years to find it. Ooh. And I find that poignant because a lot of times with mental illness, like we're all lost and we don't know what's happening to us and it's we just feel crazy and lost and then we get a diagnosis and we have our truth and it, it's very valuable because we've been lost for so long. Mm. Yes, I most certainly understand that. And, and what about you? What say you, Keegan, about that proverb? Well, I, I really, really do agree with it um, because we do. We can wander around for years and, and perhaps not not know our truth or, or not accept it, but it is a figurative weight off the shoulders when you do find that truth. It's, it's yeah, something that you search for maybe even subconsciously and, and when you do find it, it's, it, it brings acceptance you know, yes. yourself and, uh, you know, and in terms of others. Yes, absolutely. That's good. You know, and, and for me, you know, in thinking about truth, truth is not 
truth does not get obtained in sort of a monolithic kind of way. Truth is also not absolute, I don't think. I think truth is much like a flower, I think, or much like our ecosystem. It changes and morphs into different levels of truth. And I think as you begin to grow and change and transform, your truth begins to change and transform with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when I when I heard that proverb, that was the first thing I thought about, is your truth is a journey. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's something that continually unfolds and it continually changes as you as you change, as your interests change, as you develop emotional and intellectual maturity. So I think, you know, your truth, living in your truth, well, okay, your truth at you know, 10 years ago should not be the same truth that you have 10 years later. And that is okay. Some people don't like that. I know. Some people don't like your truth Some people don't like growth. People don't like growth. They like you just to be the same old, around the way person, unhealthy, unmedicated person. But as your truth, that was your truth. But now your truth is you're medicated. And now your truth is you're healthy. Yes. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. You know, I think the, the, the saying the truth will set you free, it is a cliche, but it really is true. I do find it cliche, but yes, you're absolutely right. It's so it's poignant true. all at the same time. It's true. Yeah. We just say it a lot. That's what makes it cliche. We yes, 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 we do. Yes, we do. All right. Well, you know what? Again, Keegan, check out Keegan O'Connell all the way from South Africa. His book is A Combustible Life. You can find it on Amazon. We'll drop it in the description with all of his social media places. Honey, I think you're choosing you're choosing the the song for this week, right? Um. So you actually chose this song. Did I choose? Oh, yeah, you but, chose this so, song earlier in the week. That's true because we saw Pink on NBC in America. Good and, morning, America. I'm sorry. Good morning, America. And um, and I thought this was a great show about mental health, especially when you're overcoming other health issues, right? Yes. Yeah. So I, I thought it was good. I mean, did it, did it impact you in some way? I haven't heard it yet. Oh, you haven't heard it yet? I thought it was really good. I, have you heard Turbulence by Pink yet, Keegan? I I. No, I haven't actually. Okay, it's a brand new song, it's a brand new song okay. and I thought it was amazing. We're going to pay it, play it in its entirety, but it really describes that journey. You know, the journey with cancer, the journey with mental health, the journey with anything that you have in your life. And um, again, you know, you will overcome. You will be fine. It's up and down, but you'll get there. Um, thank you, everyone. Thank you, Pink, for this song. Thank you for sharing your your truth with the world as well. Keegan, thank you for sharing your truth. Um, honey, honey, do you want to say something? No, just thank you, everybody, and we'll see you again in a couple weeks. All right, see you again in a couple weeks. Okay, thanks, guys. Thank, thank you. you. tragedy combined but we both can't live without it and we tried we should take our own advice Mm, don't give up there's a mountain in the middle of the road it'll take a little longer to get home baby all we've got is time you can't have
Don't forget, as scary as it gets, it's just turbulence Close your eyes, pretend you're driving on a bumpy road at night You can meet me in the corners of your mind We can build a new cloud nine If you're alive, then it means that you're committed to survive That's enough to drain the life from you sometimes But I hold on tight It's just turbulence